Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. Today's episode is going to be a little bit of a combination of some baseball. Let's kick it off here with my cousin Nick. We're going to talk about the Padres and then we're going to finish the podcast with our preview of the AFC North Division. But before we get to that, welcoming back my good friend and cousin and baseball fanatic and Padres diehard <laughs> Nick Burrow. Welcome back, buddy. What's up, Benny? Good to be here, man. It's been um, an up and down season for you. This is the third time I think we've had you on the podcast to just talk a little baseball, talk a little Padres. You have been a diehard, uh, you know, from the beginning. And it, this is finally a season that you, you were able to get jazzed up about. And the last month or so has been a little bit of a steady decline for the team. <laughs> recent, recent history, you know, recent games, they've been doing better. They, they just finished a, a series win against the Astros. Uh, this last weekend we're yeah. recording this Monday on on Labor Day and Padres roll into the final month of the season with a doozy of a schedule I mean what do they got like two or three series two series against the Dodgers two against the Giants yep uh, one against the Braves do they face the Brewers I think so it's it's gonna be tough they got all the play Angels teams. next but uh, Angels Angels are tomorrow the next two days two they game, got, yeah. yeah but uh, no it's been it's been it's been disappointing I, I have some some charged up feelings, uh, for sure, uh, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> no, that's uh, why I brought you, because yeah. clearly you have, you're very outspoken on Twitter, and you yeah. you, you have a big following of Padres fans wow. on Twitter. I don't, and, I don't and, know about big following, but I, I have no, a but little you, bit of a You're following. part of a good community of Padres yeah, fans, yeah. And, and you love, you talk, talk back and forth about the Padres, and you have all these opinions, one to give you some space. To just vet your feelings about how this Padres season has going, they yeah. are. What are they? Uh, a game back from the wild card spot? Second no, wild card spot right now? No, I think the the uh, Reds lost, so they're actually a half game ahead. I okay, cool. Yeah, so they they've jumped ahead. Um, but yeah, no, like you said, I I'm, I'm on Twitter all the time. I talk talk Padres. Um, I've had to kind of censor my true feelings a little bit because I think it would get me kind of. Uh, <laughs> axed out of the community so to speak because i i have some specific feelings that i don't think some of the uh some of the fans are, are quite ready to hear and um not that i i care what anyone thinks i'm pretty pretty comfortable with my with my own opinions yeah, but you and i we like to play it safe yeah we don't yeah. want to stir you don't want to stir the pot too much right but you know i'm sitting here with you and you're you know <laughs> in the house here I, i'm pretty comfortable sharing what i what i think is going on um no, vet, vet. I, this is what we're here, what we're here for. What's going on with these Padres, man? They, you know, I, I think, so I'll put it broadly and then I'll kind of get into some details. I think top to bottom, they just need um, to hit the reset button on their entire, um, their execution plan, their player development. Um, what, what I think hurts the Padres the most is they have lost the feel for the game. And what I mean by that is they operate under such strange parameters and what and more specifically, you look at things like the lineup card or the bullpen choices or uh players time or, or the role that these players have. It, it's been in my experience, correct me if I'm wrong, you're an Angels fan. You've seen a a, a championship team win a ring. Most good teams, the roles of the players of the team are pretty solidified by now. No, right? That's a good point, and, and I think so. I I know the way you like the way you root for baseball, the way you, the kind of the type of baseball you enjoy personally is an old school style. You like yeah. you like you know 
everybody plays their role. Everybody knows their lane. It's almost like in basketball, it's even more important because you have like the Steph Curry's and LeBron's who are going to lead the charge. But then you, they need role players. They need guys that are going to shoot yep. corner threes, play lockdown defense. Right. The roles are more defined in that yeah. sport. Baseball, the modern game is moving towards a more of a, um, a versatile player, someone mm-hmm. who's like going to play multiple positions, bat in different spots of the order. That's kind of where the game has been going, led you know by teams like the Dodgers, like the Rays, both in the World Series last year. Mm-hmm. And they've had some success doing this, but I think it, there's a balance. There's, there's some teams that it works for, some teams that it don't, does, doesn't. Some players it works for, some players that it doesn't. Absolutely. And I think the Padres are starting to force the issue. Mm-hmm. It definitely seems like that. I mean, there's just things that don't make sense. And what bugs me is that after this month-long skid of losing baseball, they they haven't dialed it back. They haven't gone back to what they know <laughs> works. What's crazy to me is that it's so apparent that this is just a different team than we saw in June, right? A different team than we saw in May. Yeah. In May, they were... They were, were they more fun the back then? They were absolutely more fun. Now, look, look. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like they didn't have an incredible amount of injury. Yeah. They've had... They have an entire roster's worth of pitching injuries, yeah. they right? Have, they have two rotations. Yeah. One on, one on the IL, of one course. that's active. So that's, that's, that's different. What I'm saying is, I, you know, Benny, you're right. I'm very old school. But I think there should be a marriage between, you know, new age analytics and the old school way of thinking. Now, where I think the Padres struggle is they have not at all defined where that line is. Here's a good example. Tommy Pham, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to use two players as examples, but mark my words, this counts for everybody on the roster. And I could give you an example for every player. Tommy Pham struggled, struggled early. They stuck with him. He was hitting like a buck 20. Yeah. He got hot. He started playing good baseball. Now he's like not playing so well anymore, right? Mm-hmm. With the addition to Adam Frazier, you, they've had to shuffle the lineup card almost every night, it seems like. Now Tommy Pham has gone for a guy who's hit leadoff. He's hit fifth. He's hit fourth. He's hit sixth. And then he's he so one day he's a bench piece, mm-hmm. gets a pinch hit opportunity, hits a ball up the gap into the in a, in an eight run loss, right? And then he's hitting cleanup the next day. Yeah. That is just you know what? And here, and this is my overarching point right here. I'll keep it into like one word. You cannot expect human baseball players to perform to a a um, like a statistic, like a. Uh, it's not a vacuum. It's not a vacuum. It's not a simulation. You can't expect these guys to perform how they're expected to if they're not right in their minds. Yeah. And like you're saying, not every team is the Rays. Not every team is the Dodgers. They're not filled one through nine think, with guys that can shuffle around like that. And it's so yeah. obvious that it's not working. Yeah. The fact that they haven't made an adjustment is like, what's going on? Do you guys want to win? Yeah. It's confusing. For me, it's it's really hard to for me to dive one way or the other with this argument because when you when you read it like advanced statistics books, there is a lot of evidence statistically. I think and I think what gets lost in this is the fact that there's such a large sample size in the in the statistics that create these these overarching themes that you'll find in the big data. But for day to day, player to player, that all doesn't always apply. So, but the right. data, the big data shows that not it, it from from experience to experience, the next one isn't necessarily always impacted significantly from the one prior. Right. Like there is evidence, like in the book, it's like the Bible of advanced statistics for baseball. It's called the book. It's written by Tango Tiger. Mm-hmm. He 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 has this whole chapter based on is a is when a player is hot how. 
how statistically significant are the the bat the at bats prior the last like two weeks the last month how significant are those at bats to the ones that they're currently having mm-hmm. and the stats show that it's actually not as much as you think right but what you're saying is that every player is different and and specifically a lot of these players with Padres may be experiencing the 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 day to day changes the the the, the play like the the constant alterations in the batting order positions all these different changes day to day are affecting them not just you know physically but mentally as well and they're not able to perform to the statistic that you're saying you're talking about and yeah. they're not it's not a vacuum it, mm. it's and sometimes the stat heads the advanced stat guys will try to t- argue that it is but when you're looking at 162 games, thousands and thousands of bats from all these different types of players. Yeah, there's going to be some overarching trends in the data, but day to day, you know, throughout a season, the the minutia, the the micro statistics that go that impact games day in and day out. That you see it as a baseball player, you understand mm-hmm, yeah. that like this, there is a push and pull with that. And yeah. clearly, guys like your your case with Tommy Pham. Clearly, that that's not easy for a baseball player to do unless you're like a stud and yeah. you just you're you're the most mentally strong player out there. And it, it matters how what you've been doing the, the last couple of weeks. Like it, right. it makes a difference. Right. Well, and I, I think it's not it's not whether you believe the stats or not, because you have to look at the team's performance. It hasn't worked. Yeah. They've been playing so bad. You know, if you had asked me like late uh, July, hey, what are your thoughts on the Padres? Like. All right, what are they going to do in the playoffs? I would have said if this team plays as good as they can, they're going to win the division. I would have said that. Yeah. Regardless I, I, I of the Giants. Our, our, our I had it. All year yeah. I thought the Giants are playing unbelievably as well, but the Padres haven't even sniffed their potential. So they're going to get there. So the trend has been going down. So I don't really – it's not about whether you want to trust the statistics or not. You have to trust what is showing up on the field. Yeah. Now I look at a guy like Adam Frazier. Leads baseball in hitting, the the major league hit leader, and he gets moved to the Padres at the deadline. Very strange move, considering they have their all-star Jake Cronenworth playing second base. Frazier's a good second baseman. He can't play left, but he's not a good left fielder, right? Yeah. So an interesting move. For a team that needed starting pitching, they go and get the hits leader. I thought if they were going to get a bat, he's they should have gone with him. Too. He's been terrible. But you know what? The guy started in left. He started at second, and then he didn't play for like two days. And then he started at second, and then he didn't play for another three days. Yeah. And it's like Adam Frazier, for the first four months of the season, woke up every day knowing I'm playing second base and probably hitting first or second in the order, right? And it's like that is routine. That routine allowed him to be what some statisticians would say an anomaly, right? Yeah. Most people that have analyzed his career would look at this year, the first half, and say he'll never do that again. But you know what? Whatever it takes to get him back to doing that, I'm okay with. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Why would you why would you mess with the mojo? And I know that's old school and I know like some people aren't really willing yeah. to the, look at it the, that way. The stats guys will tell you that if you stick with it, if you stick with this formula, eventually it will work out. But when you have a pressing matter like a playoff race, you uh playoff even a, when you get to the playoffs when you have those series like that's urgent. That's something that you need to get done right now. And if your guys head into those matchups with in the wrong headspace, in the wrong preparation, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's a game of failure. You have got to assume that you have to go in with a good mentality, or else you're just going to fail a little bit more than the team that wins. Because the team that wins is still going to fail most of the time. That is just that's just how baseball works. Yeah. So why would you not take every possible avenue? 
it would take to to put your guys in the right headspace. And you know what? Here's my hot take for you, Ben. Here's my hot take. People are, you know, a lot of people have been mad at Jace Tingler, the Padres yeah. manager. There's been a lot of moves this year that have made me shake my head. Uh, the, what was it, 16 inning game. There's a lot of yeah, mistakes yeah. in that game. We don't even have to talk about that. It was unbelievably botched a double <laughs> switch, whatever. But I think, and this is my take that I don't think a lot of my Twitter friends are going to like. You have to look up. You have got to look at what's going on in the general manager's office, whoever he's getting his data from. Because look, when he came in in 2015, they tried that whole thing with Upton and Kimbrell. And, he's uh, had a lot of swings and misses. So he had the swing and miss. I think he does a great job of putting putting together a roster, but I think he's got his hand in the cookie jar too much. Yeah. If you fire Andy Green, why would you hire another Andy Green? Yeah. Why would you hire another guy that's never had experience, that is going to be a yes man, and who's going to do what he's told? If your plan is to go win a championship and you already tried to do that with a guy who's never been there, why would you hire another guy that's never been there? Yeah. I think the Padres' problem is whoever is making this, the decisions, the overarching decisions from up top, has given up on the feel aspect for the game. Do you think Bruce Bochy would ever take a lineup given to him by... By a computer-generated lineup that says this is the best statistical out. No. He's going to go talk to his guys, get in somebody's face, and be like, are you going to be able to come through for me tonight? Yeah. We're in a playoff run. I need guys that are going to grind it. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's appalling that it's taken this long to not make an adjustment. <laughs> but, and it's just, like, laughable. It's like, okay, so yeah. we're just going to keep rolling out the same thing every yeah. single night and not make an adjustment. Yeah, I, look, I want to like AJ Preller, and I think he's made some good moves. But you're right; he's he's taking a lot of swings and misses. That or that first era it really got absolved when he traded James Shields for Fernando Tatis Jr. Yep, that's really the only thing that saved him. He would have been fired if he didn't do that. Yeah, he would have lost his job because he acquired expensive players on the backside of 30 years old, it and didn't it didn't pan out. Yeah, and I don't blame him for that because it's like his first year as a new hotshot GM. You want to make a splash? It didn't work. That's fine. But once it's go time, it's go time. Yeah. Do what you need to do to win. Sometimes it seems like he just makes moves for the sake of making moves. Almost like Jerry DePoto. Jerry, po- Jerry DePoto is the, the master of this. He, he was an Angels GM for a while. Now he's with the Mariners. The guy makes trades just for the sake of making trades. <laughs> and AJ Preller isn't necessary to that degree. But he's getting there in my book. Like It's, get, it's getting to the point where sometimes he just makes, makes moves that make, make your head scratch. And then we got it. We can't not talk about Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah. They move him to the outfield. And Ben, I've been to, let's see, probably five games since he came back from the from the, the IL. I um, mean, he's been playing right field. He's played a little bit of center field. Um, the, he's just not the same player. Yeah. Granted, he's, he got hot. He hit a homer last game, and it fired everybody he's up. Still and was, you know, Tatis Jr., he, he, he's still the guy, but I mean... It's just so apparent that he that the the energy is different. Yeah. They're not bouncing around the field. He's not, you know, he he has he's slow on and off. He's not chirping it, you know, he's not chopping it up with his teammates. Maybe there's something going on off the field or whatever and you know there's been talk about uh the clubhouse didn't really respond to to Eric Hosmer's uh trade rumors which in my opinion if that's what it is, you got to get over it. He's still on the team. So yeah. 
it, like it or not, win for him. Like, good, yeah. right? Like, do don't do it for the for the organization, but like, fi- you know, figure it out. And this is all, you know, of course, by the time this airs or, or whatever, you know, the Padres going to be on like a six game winning streak, so <laughs> it's going to be ridiculous. But I still think the problems are there, and I think they need to be addressed because it's just sad to see it such a talented team play down. I mean, they're yeah. dropping series to Colorado and to Arizona. And then they show up against the Dodgers and just lay an absolute egg. Yeah. Just so disappointing. They looked good against the Astros this weekend. So you got yeah. to hope they can keep that momentum rolling. Because that schedule the rest of the way is going to be test them. It's going to put them through the gauntlet. So yeah. the playoffs start now for them. They're Every really game's good. a playoff game from here on out. It Every is. single one. Every they single one. They don't face a single easy opponent. The, no. the rest of their opponents I was looking at earlier today, all playoff teams. Yeah. I Somehow I think... I think that'll help because I think they're kind of a group that plays to the competition a little bit, mm-hmm. um, especially getting swept by the Diamondbacks, getting no hit by my boy Tyler Gilbert. Shout out Santa Barbara City College <laughs> uh, alumni. <Yeah. laughs> but, uh, oh, man, it's, it's just so many things going through my head right now. But, um, yeah, I think top to bottom, I think management needs to bring somebody in or, or, or at least give free reins to just some of the feel. Some of the feel. Yeah. I mean, in yeah. my opinion, I think trends, you should go with like a two-week type style trend, right? If a guy's not doing, not hitting for two weeks, okay, we need to chat about his role. But don't give a guy two games and then if he goes, you know, one for don't eight, reactionary. don't sit him for three games. He's an all-star. <laughs> like, yeah. come on. Like, do we really think Adam Frazier's just forgot how to hit? <sighs> I, I'm not a big Adam Frazier guy. I never really have been. I thought more or less this earlier this season was a little bit of a career career type of season. That's fine. But let's get it back. Let's yeah. get it back. I mean, he knows how to put the bat to the baseball. He's striking out way too much in San Diego. So right. I mean, if that if that's at at the very least something that they should be addressing. Well, um, don't you think that a guy who is not a high strikeout guy? If he comes into a different role and he's not sure how many at-bats he's going to have that week, he's going to start pressing. He's going to start expanding the zone a little bit, right? Thinking, hey, I can't let let this umpire take the bat out of my hands. By the way, the Padres have run into some bad umpires. The whole whole league's bad. It's an epidemic. But the the, the stuff with Doug Eddings was shocking. (laughs) Shocking. Yeah. Was shocking. Anyway, that's that's a whole nother. (laughs) We can do a whole nother podcast about that. All right. Um, Last question for your Padres. Is Eric Hosmer on the team next season? Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, whether he is or not, there needs to be an adjustment there. The guy, I mean, the hitting stuff, I think some of the fans of – been a little harsh on him. I, th- I think he's definitely underperformed. I don't think he's going to be the Eric Hosmer that was, you know, winning a World Series in Kansas World, City. Yeah. But what I'll tell you that is extremely disappointing is the defense. Yeah. He is abysmal. It's, embarrass- it's embarrassing. It's it is so embarrassing. I mean, you know, I played college first base. I prided myself on playing defense because you know it's why? It's a harder position than you think. It's a tough position, but it's the kind of position that makes the other positions better. For sure. Jake Cronenworth, great play at the middle. Routine ball in the dirt. Hosmer can't come up with it. He stabbed those real oh, hard. He has just been bad. He he couldn't get back to first base on a ball in the yeah, hole. Yeah, I saw that. Missed that. I mean, there's and then the the that same game, there was a ball right at him that, that got through, a couple runs scored. Like... Pause. If you want to play first first base and hit 260 and like barely scrape out 20 homers, 
I'm gonna need that gold glove, yeah. <laughs> that gold glove to come back because the defense has been tough. Yeah. Is he on the Padres What was that year? defensive run save stat you oh gave me? Oh my god, like, was it was like, like negative 12? Yeah. I think he's the worst in the National League. At first base? Yeah, Dude, that's terrible. you should be even keel at, at worst. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think if they can offload him, they'll, they will. Um, I How think, many more years does he have, do you know? Uh, on the team, I want say a good like deal. three or four yeah. at least. Yeah, he's getting paid $20 million this year. 21 if you count a signing bonus. <laughs> oh my God. That's so much money. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, Look, the bright side of the Padres is... I think the fact that they're, they have such a tough schedule down the rest of the way, if if they are able to get through it, if they make the playoffs, it's going to give them some momentum going into it. They're not going to have, they're not going to be able to take the foot off the gas at all the rest of the way. So they're going to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations yeah. if you look at it that way. So you know, it's a, uh, it's not an easy situation, but you know, and it's very possible that this just might not be their year, and that you know maybe if they get healthy in the next year or two, the good news is. They have a good young core with Tatis, Cronenworth, Machado still has some good years left. They have good players the rest of the way, um, you know, going forward beyond this season. And, I mean, Clevenger comes back next year. Mm -hmm. um, Lamette, hopefully you, he could get back into the rotation. Who knows with him? He, he might be the, the X Factor this season if he could solidify, like, a, a lockdown setup role because he's been looking yeah. good the last couple outings when he came yep. back off the I.L. I got two hot takes for you, then we can go. One. Trent Grisham, perennial all-star for him. years to come. I love Grisham. You're gonna, everyone's yeah. going to love him. Once they figure out that he needs to be playing center field every game, regardless, yeah. lefty-righty, perennial all-star. Big fan of the no batting glove. Oh, too. yeah. So old school, yeah. Texas country, <laughs> but like swag. Number two, if the Padres sneak into a one-game playoff against the Dodgers and win, World <laughs> Series champs. Yeah, that's a good take. World Series champs. That's a hot take. All right, Nick. That was a lot of fun. Glad that we were able to get some of your feelings after this Padres season. It's uh, it's been an up and down roller coaster of a year. It, it's must watch baseball, and this this yep. season has been the NL West has been the story of the of the season. Oh, yeah. The Giants with their unexpected stuff. The Dodgers are always just going to be con perennial contenders. It seems like the Padres are the young and upcoming team, and Tatis Jr. is is he's going to be around for years to come. He is a lot of people believe so. The future of the sport. I mean, Otani has been incredible this season, but he. It's hard to see him doing this two-way stuff for much longer yeah. than a few years. Too hard tops. on the body. So Tatis has a very sustainable formula for success in this sport, and uh, you got that guy on your team for what thirteen years. So there's, it, yeah. it's a it's a nice fallback plan. Not not uh, I'm uh, not mad about that yeah. at all. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Nick. I appreciate your time, buddy. Thanks, Ben. All right, take care. All right, we're back now. Connor Larson, we're going to be continuing our NFL season preview. We're under the gun. I said this on the last episode. We have just a couple of days left before the season is underway for the 2021-22 NFL season. Bringing back Connor Larson. We're going to we have two more two more divisions to go, Connor. The AFC North is today. The AFC East will be either tomorrow or later in the week before the the uh the Sunday slate games. We're going to try to fit that in as soon as possible. But Connor, welcome back, buddy. Hey, what's popping, Benny? What's popping, my guy? We um, we the I, I'm getting excited for the season, but I'm also just like, <laughs> I'm so excited. It, it's been it's it's uh, it's been very um, just the build up to the year has just been great because our I feel like our season preview has been in more in depth than I've ever been 
with my our analysis and what we're looking at for the season. Um, and I, I just have never gone into so much detail with every one of the 32 teams. And it's kind of nice to have a go into the year with like a nice grip on things. Just like understanding like where the teams are at, knowing like what the strengths and weaknesses are, what's going to, what's going to indicate whether or not a team's doing well. Like we're, that's what, that's kind of what we're taking away from the big picture in each of these analysis, in my opinion, like just if a team starts to struggle early on and you, I, there are indications like for specific units of the team that, you know, if like, for example, we're talking about the Steelers today, like if Ben Roethlisberger is struggling and the offensive line isn't blocking for him, that that's going to be a big problem for the Steelers. And um, there's just a lot of different types of those examples where um, we have a, a pretty great grasp of what to look for when we're observing these, these early weeks. And, we're going to, I think, be able to make adjustments pretty quickly if we start to see things going south or in a positive way um, by, or vice versa, you know? Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, I feel like we know too much. You know, there's n- nothing's going to surprise us at this point. We have all our bets mapped out. We're going to make a ton of money. I'm, we might as well not have the season at this point. I mean, you know, we've got it all satted out. We, we figured it out. We've unlocked the secret. We can't do that. All right, Connor, we'll- before we kick off the, uh, the the preview for the AFC North, what, can you please tell us about we have a, a giveaway tomorrow, Wednesday. What's the, what's the day? September eighth, before the day before the season, we're going to be doing a live YouTube video. Connor, tell us about that. Yep, September eighth, nine p.m. All things analysis on YouTube. Uh, we're giving away that Keenan Allen jersey to anybody who's subscribed to the site. Uh, we're also going to do some YouTube live trivia, you know, the vicious talk that you've been doing on your podcast. You know, we're, we're hoping to stump some fans and see if they can't get a couple correct answers and, and win some free stuff. We're talking about cards, we're talking about memorabilia. We're doing this at 9 p.m. EST, Eastern Standard Time on September 8th, right on YouTube live. You know, we're, I'm going to blast out an email to everybody who's already subscribed to the site. Um, we're also going to, you know, make sure we put it out on social media for everybody to know. We're going to, you know, blast it out an hour beforehand, 20 minutes beforehand and be like, you know, make sure you join because you, you don't even have to be subscribed to be entered for the trivia. You know, you can pop on for 15 minutes if you think you know a lot about football. And if you think you can, uh, you know, answer some of Ben's questions and win some free stuff, we encourage you to hop on with us. So what type of questions do you think we should be looking for? Like, so I, I'm obviously going to probably steer towards like some week one questions and, and like some 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 tri- some fun facts about like week one in the NFL, but also like yep. I'm thinking like some some season preview stuff, like to test people if they've been listening to Vicious Talk, you know, like for sure some season like, preview. I think we we need some wacky fantasy stats. I think we need to surprise people about like when there's about this rookie draft class, you know, we have five quarterbacks taken in the top 15 picks. So that's pretty historic. So I feel like we need a few questions about maybe the success or the likelihood of success for this draft class, you know, things of that nature. We're going to make it fun. We're going to keep it light. Uh, We're going to focus on things that, you know, we feel strongly about too. So maybe, maybe we talk about our own record and, uh, (laughs) <laughs> oh, we're giving you we're giving the list give some ata guide. trivia yeah we're giving you guys a study guide now so be prepared for it uh september 8th 6 p.m pacific standard 9 p.m eastern standard uh connor and i consistently deal with that time difference it's, it's just it's second nature to just list both times for me at this point all the questions are going to be about our wives so learn about ben's wife and learn about my wife 
all 15 questions, every single thing, sign memorabilia. It's all going to be better wives. They're the ones who are signing. <laughs> One last thing too, before the season gets going, we're going to put in our picks against the line. Once again, Connor and I last year did a weekly podcast where we take the, the spreads for each of the games, give a little bit of analysis, make our pick on who we think is going to cover for the matchup. Also, we're going to be working on some best bets for the cup up for the upcoming season as well. We're going to be doing a little bit more coverage than we did last season. And last year, Connor, anybody that was listening to us was definitely benefiting from the content we were putting out. Yeah, I mean, we did analysis on the DFS post that we were throwing out there. We hit over 70% of the time. So, you know, professional gamblers, they need to hit 55, 56% of the time. We're well above that margin. So, you know, I feel very strongly about our advice. We, we have a full season track record already, which is great. So you should feel confident when you're following and when you're listening to the stuff we're talking about. Um, you know, and obviously tomorrow we're going to heavily talk about the first game of the season, the Thursday night game, considering it'll be Wednesday night. So we're going to be talking about the Cowboys, the Tampa Bay Bucks. Maybe we give a little bit of a preview about, you know, if we're playing a single lineup, you know, some of our favorite players in the Cowboys and Bucks game. And obviously the fact that the Bucks are the number one team in your rankings right now. Is that correct, Ben? That is true. Take a look at our, our NFL power rankings at allthingsanalysis.com. We've got Connor and I both have our power rankings up on the, on the website. They're my number two. They're, they're kind not of far off. The uh, We don't want to spoil the rest for the listeners. So go to the website. Definitely check it out. <laughs> we got some great interpretations of how we think the, least, the, the season is going to play out. We're going to continue our previews here. We got two more to go. Let's kick it off with the AFC North here, Connor. We're, we're going to lead off with the Baltimore Ravens. Last year, the Ravens went 11-5. and five. This season, their over-under win total is that same mark, 11. They are plus 115 to win this division. A lot of... A lot of um, a lot of expectation that the offense for Baltimore is going to be improved this year. Um, last year, we saw a dip from their 2019 season when I think they were either first or second in EPA per play or EPA overall um, in 2019. And then 2020, they, they dipped down to 20th in efficiency. How effective is this offense going to be in 2021? That's going to be the biggest the biggest engine that's going to make, make or break this Baltimore Ravens season, in my opinion. What do you think, Connor? I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about the pass catchers on this offense, the fact that they've been injured all preseason. You know, there's a lot of question marks. Rashad Bateman, um, Marquise Brown have all missed time in the preseason, Sammy Watkins with an undisclosed injury. I mean, this is not what you want to hear when you're trying to build a rapport with a quarterback. Also considering that Lamar Jackson's gotten COVID for the second time. He's unvaccinated. So that adds additional concern. Not trying to be political, but when you're talking about the NFL rules and the protocols, if you're unvaccinated, it puts your team at a disadvantage. If there's exposure or if he gets COVID again, it's a lot stricter and more stringent upon teams with that situation. Also, you're talking about J.K. Dobbins, who went down with an ACL tear. He was supposed to lead the backfield. So now you have Gus Edwards and the recently signed Le'Veon Bell, who are going to head this backfield. It's certainly a drop-off there, too. I'm I'm a bit worried that the... The guy I feel the safest about is Lamar Jackson because, you know, he's going to get the running yards and obviously Mark Andrews. But in terms of the offensive production as a whole, I'm concerned. How do you how do you feel, Ben? Um, Last year, it was alarming for Baltimore's offense because there aren't a lot of random factors that were outside of the, the Ravens control last season that would have suggested they would 
suffer such a decline in their efficiency on the offensive side of the football. I mean, you'd look at just their schedule, the rank of schedule last year. 12 of the Ravens' 16 regular season games were played against defenses that ranked below average. Nine of their games were against bottom 10 defenses. That's 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 a, that's a decent schedule for your offense. And they go in and they finish uh, 20th in efficiency, like I said. An early down success rate, they dropped from 1st in 2019 to 22nd in 2020. It's a huge drop-off. The big difference, really was the Ravens were not able to run heavy personnel sets. So they honestly, they missed the loss. They, they lost Hayden Hurst last season, and it made a big difference unexpectedly. And not necessarily in the pass-catching sense, but the fact that he's a reliable tight end, you're able to put, that, put out there on a consistent basis. The Ravens are incredibly efficient in heavy personnel sets. So Mark Andrews is a good tight end, but they didn't have a second tight end last year. They relied on Nick Boyle, who got hurt, I think, in week, uh, week. let me see, week nine, I think. I think after nine games, I think Nick Boyle got hurt, and the Ravens couldn't run 12 or 13 personnel sets, and that really hurt them because what happens is when the Ravens were running um, in 11, 11 personnel, they didn't have the depth um, at the wide receiver position to cover three wide receiver spots. And Lamar is inefficient from um, 11 personnel, running the ball from 11 personnel. He had a 45% success rate on negative 0.05 EPA per attempts and 71 runs in 11 personnel. So Lamar runs the ball a lot better when they bring in multiple tight ends and they weren't able to do that without Hayden Hurst and Nick Boyle. It's going to be, I think, that you know, they brought in, um, who's the tight end? J- uh, Oliver. They brought in James, I think James Oliver is his name. He's going to be probably relied on, not necessarily as a pass catcher, but to be able to run these heavier sets so that the, when the Ravens are are stacking the, are stacking the line with multiple tight ends, Lamar's going to have to run more efficiently because when in all of Lamar Lamar's runs last, um, in, oh, sorry, in his, in his MVP season in 2019, in all of Lamar's runs, um, that were not in 11 personnel. He had 7.8 yards per carry, 73% success, and 0.34 EPA per attempt. That was 90 runs. That's a, that's great efficiency numbers from a quarterback, nonetheless. Um, they're going to need to see more of that in 2021 if they're going to if they're going if they're going to want to improve because um, clearly this this whole the whole scheme of Baltimore's offense last year got mucked up and they weren't able to do what they were trying to do and defenses were stacking the boxes. When when they were running heavier personnel, they, they, if if the formation didn't scream pass play, the defenses were shutting down Lamar, and that was their priority, and it worked. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the the rushing efficiency. Do you think that this passing attack can take take the next step? You know, Lamar Jackson obviously took a, a small regression last year in terms of the running, but still one of the most effective running quarterbacks. Do you think he can make the next step in terms of his passing game? Uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see to, to believe it. But I think there's some schematic changes they could uh, they can make in this season, the upcoming season, that could help this. Um, when you look at the passing plays during the first three quarters of games last year, you know pre-snap motion was a big factor in Lamar's success. Without pre-snap motion, the Ravens on on passing plays had a negative uh, 0.27 EPA per attempt on a 6.1 yards per attempt rate. And then with pre-snap motion, they ha- they saw an increase of 0.18 EPA per attempt on 7.8 yards per attempt. So there's a big boost with with the pre-snap motion. I think we'll see Harbaugh start to implement more of that, and that should help. Um, but Lamar also throws the ball incredibly well in heavier personnel sets. So while I talked about how their running efficiency increases, 
with the heavier personnel. They're also incredibly explosive in that in that formation. They don't do it often. They don't they don't throw the ball often from that. But when you look at how how uh, they they pass the ball in those heavier personnel, over the last couple of years they've been incredibly efficient with those passing out of thirteen personnel, which is a kind of a rare set. That means three tight ends are on the field in twenty nineteen. They ran how many plays? 33 plays, 33 passing plays from 13 personnel. But on those passing plays, look at these stats. 0.58 EPA per attempt. That's first in the league. 11.2 yards per attempt, first in the league. 70% success, first in the league. 91% QB accuracy, first in the league. And Lamar had a 19% touchdown rate on those passes. 33%, I mean, 33 passes, a 19% touchdown rate. That's absurd. So uh, that's only 33 plays, but that's that's 33 explosive plays they ran in 2019. And then you look at the stats for 2020 uh, last year, 2020, they ran one play out of 13, uh, one pass play out of 13 personnel, just one. So it brings to the depth issue. You know, you brought up Hayden Hurst left the team, and so you know they didn't have three reliable tight ends. And when the other team expects you to run the ball, that's the best time to pass. Yeah, it, it, exactly because. When you when you're gonna when you pass the ball at eleven personnel and you run the ball at twelve and thirteen, your offense becomes predi- predictable. It, it's obvious when you and it makes especially with Baltimore when you have Lamar Jackson, like you need to stay unpredictable because if you're the only way to combat a Lamar rushing game is by knowing he's gonna run the ball and stacking the box against him. That's the only way you could beat it because the guy is incredible with the football in open space. You have to create that space for him by by keeping the threat of a of a deep pass play in your in your back pocket. So being able to throw the ball more from those heavier personnel sets should help. By they they acquired Josh Oliver. He was a second round pick out of Jacksonville in 2019, but he's only played 117 snaps over the last two years in his career. He had some injury troubles, um, but. I, th- I think the fact that they get Nick Boyle back from injury, they get this guy Josh Oliver from Jacksonville, it should help them with the depth department and uh, open up some more space, maybe down the field more for guys like Marquise Brown, maybe Sammy Watkins could get on the field. I did like, before he got hurt, um, the Rashad Bateman acquisition. They, they they drafted him, I think, in the first or second round. He was I liked him uh, before he got hurt. I thought he was a, a good fantasy football late-round late flyer, now probably falling onto your waiver wires. Someone to keep an eye on, though, because he had some he, pr- pretty promising talent coming into uh, his rookie season. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, this is still a team that both of us see – Right now, as a top ten team, but there's a, there's a lot of concern, and there's definitely a lower floor than we would like, with the amount of moving parts year over year, as well as just week to week, with the amount of question marks they have on on in their with their injury health on offense. Yeah, and and the injury health was a big issue for them last year. Uh, they had some really tough luck on the offensive line in that in that sense. Um, Ronnie Stanley, the left tackle, tore his ACL after just six games. Um, and overall, their offensive line ranked 17th in health. In 2019, when Lamar won MVP, they were third, the offensive line. So the run, the run blocking last year took a big hit, forced the Ravens to run far less often between the tackles. They ran the ball way less between the tackles last year, and that was their biggest strength in 2019. In 2019, 68% of the runs were, bet- uh, were behind their guards or their center. The league average is 54, by the way. So there were 68% between the, uh, behind the guards and center. And then in 2020, they had a dip all the way down to 47% between the tackles. That means they went, they went from 2019, they were well above average. And then 2020, they were well below average. And so there's a big difference in that. I think we're going to see, you know, they added right tackle Alejandro Villanueva from Pittsburgh. Right guard Kevin Zeitler. 
and they'll get Stanley back at left tackle. The Ravens will likely try to regain some of that muster running between the tackles this year. Um, but, you know, the, the banged up offensive line was a pretty big issue for them last season. So, I mean, Lamar was pretty was was under pressure a lot and he did not do well with that. I mean, especially when he had to drop back further um, and, and, and his five and seven step drops in 2019, he was pretty good. Uh, a 0.41 EPA per attempt on five or seven step drops on deep drops. But in 2020, that dipped down a negative 0.1 EPA per attempt on those deep drops. So it was a pretty big difference there too. The offensive line, you know, was probably a big factor in some of these things. Yeah. So the question is, you know, does, does Lamar return more to that, you know, freshman year form or is it more year two is the norm for him? I I like him to be somewhere in between. I think he he settles down a bit with that offensive line. I think if these wide receivers do get healthy, I do like Sammy Watkins. I do like Rashad Bateman. I think Marquise Brown has a lot of talent. Mark Andrews is a great pass catcher. And they all get on the field at the same time. I think if they do, then the Ravens will have a successful season, especially if they figure it out in the first quarter of the season or so. Mm-hmm. But these, this isn't a great way to start your year. And, and it's not like Sammy Watkins has a great track record of being healthy throughout the season either. Yeah. Um, and, and then Gus Edwards taking over behind uh, the running game. And then it seems like they had to add Le'Veon Bell to, it's because Le'Veon Bell is a pretty different style of running back than Gus Edwards. So I think that's mainly the reason why they wanted to bring him in because Edwards is pretty uh, peas and carrots, pretty bland. And um, he also just, like he runs, he, it's kind of, he's kind of a weird running back where he runs better, more efficient with a fullback in front of him. He mm-hmm. runs with a fullback last year. He had a 0.24 EPA per attempt without a fullback, negative 0.06 EPA per attempt. So he, he runs a lot better when he has that that lead back in front of him. So it's kind of weird. You don't really want to rely on that too much throughout the season where you got to bring in a 20, probably 21, 22 uh, personnel sets. That means you're having one or two wide receivers out on the field. That's not necessarily something you want to rely on. Um, but I don't know. There's just so many question marks on this offense that's like, if this goes right, if that goes right, it, are they going to yeah. make this adjustment? Are they going to change this? Like, it's gonna—it's a lot of factors that kind of lead me to the conclusion that you know I'm—I'm I'm pretty pessimistic on um, their offensive outlook on the season because 20, 2019 was an absolute success and Lamar surprised the league. He completely shocked the league. Twenty twenty was the league adjusting to him. Clearly, they figured him out in a way, uh, stacking the box like I said in those heavier sets when when he screamed running play. Um, and you know it's kind of funny he runs better when uh, he's actually more efficient when the play is designed for him to be to run the ball when he's when he's uh, scrambling and he runs the ball off a scramble he actually is less efficient but he um, he can't do it all himself and he, 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 he the offense has just got too many question marks around him yeah I think losing JK Dobbins who was one of the most efficient and explosive running backs last year really hurts them he's also a much better pass catcher than Gus Edwards so that it kind of explains the Lev Bell signing Gus Edwards is a good running back mm-hmm. but he's a very straightforward downhill running back that's why I think they're going to try to run between the tackles more too mm-hmm. yeah and, then, and it makes sense with that fullback stuff that you have you know he, he's a downhill picks his hole and he just he just attacks it and that's what he does he's not shifty he's not getting to the edge he's not Raheem Mostert who is just you know groundbreaking speed 
he's just a good running back and that's about it. So they lose something special there, a special playmaker in JK Dobbins. Yeah. So they, they lose more versatility once again. So they're, they're going to be more of a peas and carrots offense overall. Yeah. Yeah. And when you have Lamar Jackson as a quarterback, it's kind of exactly what you don't want to be. You want to be incredibly unpredictable, very uh, elusive. And that doesn't really seem like they have the personnel to do that around him. On the defense, yeah, I, I think we need. I need to tweak my rankings. You know, the more we talk about it, because th- this defense said, is still, still fantastic. They're still a great team. Yeah. Two years in a row, they're still they're still the Ravens, and the Steelers are almost in the same vein. Where it's like, yeah, we're probably looking at a little bit of regression for both these two teams this year, but they're still like going to be competing for the playoffs almost undoubtedly. They're going to be right in the, at, at the worst worst case scenario. They're going to be one of the two or three teams right under the playoff line right on that playoff bubble. Um, and that's the worst case scenario, really. Because it's still like jo- uh, John Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson and this defense. Like, they're still an organized professional team. Um, I just... I, I'm starting to lean towards the under on this because you look at also on their defense, they lost Matt Judon to, to uh, the Patriots and they lost... Uh, Ngo- uh, what's, I can't never pronounce his name. Yannick Ngakwe. He uh, sounds right to me. <laughs> they're both very good defensive players, um, and, and it's those are significant losses on the on their defensive side of the football. Last year, they ranked ninth in DVOA on defense. Um, with that, with those uh, types of losses, with uh, a more difficult schedule ahead of them, uh, we could see that that DVOA ra- ranking get pressed more towards the league average, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean that's lo- that's logical. I, I think their defense. <laughs> Their performance is going to be similar year over year. The biggest concern for me is still the offense and yeah. whether they can gel or not. I think they're going to get off to a slow start. Yeah. All right. What are you looking at from from a fantasy perspective with this team? Obviously, Lamar's you know top five QB in in almost every fantasy draft. Um, his fantasy floor is always just so high because he runs the ball so much. And so even if Baltimore offense doesn't move the football that well, he's still going to get you probably average at least like what what do you, what do you average rushing last year like in the sixties or seventies. He, he ended up with over a thousand for the season, which is just so impressive for a quarterback. Yeah. So just over a thousand, I believe. Aside from Lamar, what are you looking at uh, around the roster here on the offense? Who are you optimistic about? Or is there anybody that you think is a little bit overrated? I, I love Mark Andrews this year. I mean, he's going to be the sole target monster on this offense with that. all the wide receivers going through extension. injury. He got that that big extension four years. There's a reason they pay him big money, yeah. and um, you know, I think people are. I think there's a lot of Gus Edwards hype. I think people are too high on Gus Edwards to rely on him as a as an RB two. I don't think he should be looked at in the same vein as like a Damian Harris who's going in the same range because Lamar Jackson is going to vulture a lot of touchdowns yeah. where they're, they're both very singular in, in that they're good rushers. They're, you know, yeah. very solid. They're going to put up close to a hundred yards a game, but I think the touchdown upside relies with a guy like Damian Harris. So I think Gus Edwards is being overdrafted as an RB two actually. That's interesting you compare him to Damian Harris because they actually both finished with five. Uh, they averaged five yards a carry last year, 12th and 13th. On a, uh, Edwards actually had more carries. He had 144. I think Harris was like 120-something, 130-something. Um, honestly, I, I would kind of view these two, those two running backs pretty similarly had Cam Newton stayed in New England. Yes, that's a great point. Yeah. So I, I like that comparison, but you're right. I think Damian Harris, now the fact that they have a more traditional throwing running back does not with, with Mac Jones, who isn't going to necessarily be relied upon to run a lot of run in a lot of touchdowns. I think Damian Harris's value benefits a lot from that. But 
Um, Gus Edwards, you know, he he's an efficient he's a f- an efficient you know decent running back. He, he like I said, five yards per attempt last year, ranked twelfth in the league. Um, you know, the the reinforcements to the offensive line this offseason should help those efforts in the rushing game. Um, Edward definitely runs better between the tackles. He's more efficient in that sense. You could say more directional up and down type of runner, not necessarily as shifty as a guy like Dobbins. So it's going to be helpful for that ground and pound style like Edwards likes. Um, but with the addition of Le'Veon Bell, clearly like Baltimore just is not ready to commit to this guy, Edwards. Um, and and I, while I don't think Lev Bell on his own right holds a ton of fantasy value, he might, he might have a couple weeks here and there. Um, where he, he probably forms of the gun RB too, but I, I wouldn't bank on him being any sort of a value week in and week out. Um, but I like your point about Mark Andrews. I, I think Mark Andrews, like I said, throughout the beginning of the offensive preview, it's like the, the tight ends are crucial, critical in this offense. And in 2019, like, <laughs> tight ends were heavily targeted, heavily involved in the in the passing attack. And I think that that was their their main bread and butter in 2019 and if they're going to have any more success in 2021 that's what they're going to get back to i think so obviously the baltimore ravens are really high on edwards they gave him 56 million dollars for four years he's andrews yeah who did i say edwards (laughs) andrews uh is going to be signed there through his age 30 season so it, it's uh, it's gonna bode well for him. I think he had a breakout 2019 campaign. Took a small step back in 2020. All signs kind of point to him being another top five, top six option at the tight end position for fantasy this year. Yeah, yeah, I, I hope so since I have him on one of my teams and I, I see it similarly. Okay. Any wide receivers you're considering? Marquise Brown, Rashad Bateman, Sammy Watkins. More, more. more I mean, dice I, throws or dart throws. I, I'm fine with putting one of them on the back end of your bench, but this isn't going to be a run first offense. It always has been. Yeah. And I, I liked, I like the upside of Rashad Bateman before he got injured. So I, I'm probably maybe Marquise Brown, maybe if you think there's a third year breakout, but the, you, you, we kind of seen everything that there is to see from him in the first two years. So yeah. and Lamar, does, I mean, I'm not loving it. Lamar hasn't really shown a whole lot of consistency throwing the ball outside the numbers either. So, and he doesn't he doesn't do well on on designed rollouts so that's another way to get out there to him so i don't know i think i'm with you there more most guys are more or less dart throws in my opinion all right the pick on the over under win total 11 are you going over or under connor for baltimore Uh, i think i'm going under there yeah i think that's a lot of wins i'm with the under baltimore last year finished they finished really high in a, a lot of luck categories uh, which could and should probably regress this year. Their offense had the most fumbles in the league last year, but they recovered 75% of their own fumbles. That was the highest rate in the NFL. They also allowed the lowest opponent field goal percentage in the NFL. I think it was in, I can't remember what it was. I think it was in the 70s. That's something you, you can't really control. The opponents just weren't hitting <laughs> their field goals against the Ravens. Um, and then considering the nature of Lamar's play, we didn't really even mention this. Consider that he's a running quarterback, takes a lot of big hits. It leaves him exposed for those pretty often and and if it, it should an injury god forbid ever succumb to lamar um they, the ravens have one of the league's worst backup quarterback uh situations they have trace mcsorley and tyler huntley i don't really like either of those guys um and, and last year you know despite those 11 wins they underwhelmed based on expectations because they were favored in every preseason um in the preseason they were favored by every game on their schedule by an average of 7.1 points per game 
They also had the fifth easiest schedule of opponents last year. So while 11 wins was impressive, they had a lot of things going for them on the luck side. And this year, it's it's a lot of different. It's a lot different. They now ha- are going to face the most difficult schedule in the league this year, particularly in opposing pass defenses faced. They're projected to face the ninth toughest pass defense schedule in the league. So the Ravens cannot struggle on offense in the same way they did last year and expect 11 wins again. So the extra 17th game, by the way, you, that's not really an argument for them. They're facing the Rams on that extra 17th game. So that's a tough matchup. Also, Lamar's on the verge of a, a big contract extension that's going to place a lot of importance on this season and i think he's got one more before he signs that big extension maybe not but you know when you have a quarterback and a rookie deal that's when you got to win your football games and so baltimore's going to be pressing pretty hard to win this year we'll see if they could do it i <laughs> i made a note too about sammy watkins he's always he's he's always a comical player to me i, I was just reading right now i put like he missed some he missed some time in training camp from what i saw he was said quote unquote aches and pains i was like okay all right sammy like <laughs> ultra talented has never lived up to the hype never lived up to the skill potential for sure all right, let's go on the next next team. The Cincinnati Bengals. Aches and pains. <laughs> Aches and pains. I got those two. Can I call it at work tomorrow? Oh, right, I was about to say that. I'm going to call my boss. Oh, I got some aches and pains, boss. <laughs> my health insurance company would be like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> All right, Cincinnati Bengals last year, 4-11-1. The over-under win total come into this year, 6.5. They are plus 1,800 to win this division. They... Uh, they lost Joe Burrow last year after week, was it 11? Joe Burrow, is he 100%? Is he 90%? Is he less? You come into this year, you know, Bur- Burrow's health development and his recovery from the ACL injury last year are going to easily be the most important priorities for the Bengals franchise this year. They didn't do a whole lot to convince, convince uh, you know, Cincinnati fans that their offensive line is ready to protect their most prized possession of the franchise. I mean, they, they could have drafted offensive tackle Penny Sewell with the fifth overall pick, but instead they decided to go with a wide receiver who hasn't played in over a year. I know I know he played college football with Joe Burrow and LSU, but he hasn't played in over a year. And he's been, obviously, to be expected, he had a slow training camp, not a whole lot of positive um, news coming out of camp about Jamar Chase. They could. I know Sewell has been having his own struggles in Detroit, but they could have drafted the obvious consensus number one offensive uh, tackle in the draft, but instead they went with a guy that, where they they drafted a guy to a position that they already had two studs at Tyler Boyd and and uh, T Higgins. So this this there's a lot of the insiders that talk about the Bengals just say like they don't understand the decisions they make. They just super confusing team they don't they don't seem to be following any sort of modern analytical logic and it, it they coming to the season joe burrow is like he's not even a year removed from this injury i think he suffered it in december last year and that's a big injury you know acl tear is not good he's gonna be playing week one there's no way he's like 100 i said like 100 90 percent. that might be even like that might even be uh generous he might even be like 75 percent and with an offensive line that's pretty weak, I mean, are we should we should we be concerned about Joe Burrow and his development in, in Cincinnati? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the same issues as last year. They didn't address the offensive line, and now you have a guy coming off an injury with the same offensive line, and of course, that's going to be in his head. You know, the fact that 
he's got a, a, a bum leg and it's not fully healed. So whether or not the injury is fully there is, is his mental health fully there? Is he going to be able to trust this team and trust these wide receivers, these, this trio of, you know, amazing wide receivers to get open. I don't, I don't know if he's going to be able to. Yeah. I mean, on the offensive line, they, they signed veteran Riley Reif and drafted Jackson Carmen in the second round. Um, but three of the projected starters are re- returning from last year and they didn't, those, those two additions aren't necessarily um, meter meter movers. They're not going to be, into making big big splashes one way or the other so i mean with burrow healthy last year though the Bengals w- were throwing the ball 59.3 percent of the time on early down neutral situations that's uh i think it was second in the league one it was one of the league's heaviest passing offenses in the and despite the heavy passing volume the Bengals were one of the nfl's worst first down passing offenses on first down throws they were 5.9 yards per attempt 48 percent success negative 0.11 epa per play that's not what you want so the nfl average in those situations 7.6 yards per attempt 55 percent success zero uh, 0.08 epa per play well below average across the board there for the Bengals. burrow and burrow they the Bengals were doing him no justice because he was an excellent first round first down passer at lsu 83% of Burrow's first down throws were from 11 personnel. The Bengals were awful in those scenarios. 5.6 yards per attempt, 46% success rate, negative 0.17 EPA, EPA per play on a 58% completion rate. And, and Burrow in LSU averaged an 82% completion rate on, a, on 13.9 yards per attempt at LSU. So just a lot of things that just indicate that, you know, these are our coaching problems. These are schem- schematic issues that the Bengals had last year. I have no confidence in Zach Taylor to, to be the head coach of this football team. He's a prime candidate for the first coach fire this season. And I think he's, he's a little Cliff Kingsbury, right? You know, a little bit on that same vein, you know? I think it's worse than Kingsbury. I I, I don't, uh, what does Zach Taylor do to earn this job? I mean, you could say the same thing about King, Kingsbury coming from college at Texas Tech, I think he was at, but it's like, what did he do here? I mean, Zach Taylor has been horrendous. And you look at you look at like the guys that were in Cincinnati before him, uh, the history of just he, he had two six win seasons in a row. The history of coaches that have had two consecutive six win or less seasons in a row, they all almost all of them get fired the next year or get fired midseason the next year. So things are not trending in the right direction for Zach Taylor. I think he's like fourth or fifth in in uh, odds to be the coach first coach fired for uh, the, the the gambling guys the ones that are, where the states are starting to legalize the gambling like myself in Arizona something to keep an eye on there yeah I don't hate that bet yeah the uh, and <laughs> another thing about the coaches here they were horrendous in quote unquote clutch scenarios for an extended period of time Cincinnati was like they were they were 2 and 18 in their last 20 games decided by one score dating back to mid 2018 over the last five years, Cincinnati, uh, there was no team worse had that had a worse win rate in one score games. They won twenty four percent of their uh, one score games over the last five years, nine and thirty nine. Um, no team since at least two thousand has led more games in a two year span, twenty four of thirty two. That Bengals have at least had a lead at some point in the game. Twenty four of their last thirty two games under Zach Taylor, but 
none of those teams since 2000 have lost. I mean, have won fewer games than those than Zach Taylor's Bengals. Six. They've won six games over the last 30 years. 960 teams. We're talking about 960 teams over the last 30 years. Only 19 teams, including the 2019 Bengals and 2020, uh, 20, 2019 and 2020 Bengals. There have been 19 teams that have won six games or fewer in back-to-back seasons. This is the stats telling you about. And most of the time, those coaches were fired after the second poor year. So Zach Taylor's, you know, staying on some thin ice here to improve in one-score games. The Bengals, the Bengals are definitely going to have to be more efficient in red zone efficiency. Last season, uh, the Bengals ranked 27th in red zone passing, 31st in red zone rushing. Burrow and the offensive weapons he has available around him are just way too talented to, to allow this trend to continue. If Taylor wants to keep his job, because if he if he doesn't care, then these are numbers that are just going to continue to trend in the same direction. Because these are these are things that can't continue if he wants to stay around in Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the team has tons of offensive weapons. Yeah, exactly. You there about Cincinnati? <laughs> you you might think they're like a they're 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 in store for like a one win season. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, I I like this team coming into this year early on. I think I talked to talked about them as like one of the one of the teams that that's likely to have a second year jump. They have talent, tons of talent, but I I hated their draft pick of Jamar Chase. That was not a need of this team. They had a clear need that they did not address it. And so, I, I, no, I'm, I'm still not confident about Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, any of these wide receivers. Yeah. Because if you don't have time to get them the ball in, in an accurate way, it doesn't matter if you have the right play. It doesn't matter if you have separation. If the if the other defenses are in the backfield, the, the play is dead. Yeah. And I think one of the most indicative splits for Joe Burrow uh, in his rookie season it, that it indicates that the offensive line was just doing him no justice is the fact that he was significantly more efficient when he threw the ball inside the numbers and those passes typically take less time to develop so he's getting the ball out more quickly throwing the ball inside the numbers when you look at his throws outside the numbers those are the ones that are going to stretch the field the ones that take more time to develop he averaged 6.3 yards per attempt on those throws a 45% success rate 0.05 EPA per attempt on a 59 completion percentage, um, 74% accuracy with a 9.4 average depth of target. That's, that's a pretty deep depth of target throwing it to the outside. He's waiting a while for those plays to develop and the, offenses, the offensive line was getting him under pressure in those uh, scenarios. And then when you look at his throws inside the numbers up the field, the center, center portion of the field, probably mo- more or less to the tight end or slot receiver. Um, 7.8 yards per attempt, 61% success rate. That's a 16% boost and a 0.36 EPA per play. That's a 30, uh, 0.31 EPA boost there. 76% completion percentage, 85% accuracy with a 7.2 average depth of target. So shorter passes, higher completion percentage, more efficiency for Joe Burrow inside the numbers. With the offensive line, if it's going to continue to struggle, you might want to throw your most talented wide receiver in the slot if you're going to if he's going to be the one that Joe Burrow is going to have to look to. Who? who yeah, who and that's why I love. That's why I like Tyler Boyd this it year. You know, Boyd, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and he's been the most consistent player on that team for the past two or three years. And it makes sense. A- AJ Green last year was the guy on the outside, and he suffered from one of the most, one of the highest off-target pass rates in the league. I think maybe third behind, just behind Jared Judy. Yeah. All right. For the fantasy football perspective on this team, 
My main question for this is like, obviously the the wide receiver trios are kind of the story of this offense. Like, who who do you take Higgins, Chase, or Boyd? Where do you rank them in order? Because I've seen it all. I've seen all over the board. But for me, I want to start with the running back position because Joe Mixon is a pretty curious case for me because. I'm starting to be like, so personally, I just, I, I've kind of soured on Mixon and I don't really have great reasons for it because when he's on the field, he's been an excellent running back. And especially in fantasy, like is his, is his value starting to dip too low? And he's still being drafted 19th overall as the RB 13. But you know, is the question is like, is, is Mixon one of the best values in the back end of the second round? Because he was well on his way to an excellent RB one finish last season. Um, before he got hurt, I think he missed what ten games. He missed the final ten games of the year last year with that foot injury. Before he did, he was leading the NFL in touches, 140. He was second in touches per game, 23.2 behind Derrick Henry, who was averaging an absurd 26.2 per game. And at the time, Mixon was the RB11 with uh, in point uh, PPR uh, points per game format. He had he was averaging 16.6 point fantasy points per game. He was 11th in yards from scrimmage per game, 94.3. He was putting up some excellent stats before he got hurt, and that's with this same offensive weapons plus Jamar Chase. So what do you think about Mixon this season? Where you have with him? But that's not to mention they had Gio Bernard last year, who they shipped out of town to the Tampa Bay Bucks. So he should be a three-down back. He should see uh, you know, maybe an uptick in passing that's work. Read in the NFL nowadays. Yeah, it, it certainly is, and yet I'm still off of him based yeah. on his current ADP. There's I, the ADP makes sense is the point. Like he's mm-hmm. I think he's being drafted appropriately where he should be. I just personally I just I just can't do it. I can't when the time comes to draft Joe Mixon, I I just can't do it. I can't do it. I'd rather have Voss Neckler, Najee Harris, Antonio Gibson, any of those guys. All those guys are being drafted in front of him by the way. What about a guy like Clyde Edwards-Alaire? Right or right around that ballpark? Probably, yeah. I have more, I have more confidence in that team's offensive line. I think it's going to be a, a better team and, and a more high-scoring team as well. Yeah. I don't blame you for that. I just I think Joe Mixon just the, the stats have been showing that he's a well above average quarter. I mean, a running back, and he's um, I think he's starting to fall into the underrated category a little bit. But he's still on the Bengals, and he he's still on the on the Bengals. His offensive line is just horrendous, and uh, it's hard. It, it's he's he's had a history of health problems and he's only 26 years old so you know maybe he could write the ship in that sense but the health has been an issue i think two of the last three seasons and um we'll have to see if you know if if we get a good joe mixon season is there a world where he's a top 10 running back next year oh a thousand percent i mean we we know the talent yeah but there's too many mitigating circumstances and situations where I can see him being uh, outside of the top 30 as well to where I'm not willing to risk. I'm not willing to risk the ADP. I think he could get injured. I think he could be completely inefficient because of this offensive line and the challenges. They could just rely so heavily on the passing game and he could get phased out. So I think there's just, a lot of situations where, yes, he could finish in the top 10 for running backs, but he could finish out outside of the top 25. And so there are there are a few plays in the same ADP where I just, I'm, I'm never, ta- I'm finding myself in every single draft I do, I'm never taking him. Yeah, I want to, I want to want Mixon. I just can't do it to myself. Like it's, I don't know what it is. I just, I can't do it. It's like someone trying to force feed me something that I just don't want to eat. 
I just can't I can't bring myself to do it. I think he's a good running back. I think he's worthy of the RB13 status, 19th overall. I think he's worthy of that. I just personally, I'm staying away. I can't do it. I just can't do can't, I can't do it. I don't have a great reason for you why you why why you you shouldn't because he also ran the most routes per game in his career last year. He, ran, he was running 21.3 routes, so he was involved in the passing game, getting 6.8 fantasy points through that avenue as well, receiving. So, look, Joe Mixon owners, good luck to you. You know, God bless you. I think you made a good pick. Personally, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not picking him. So, no. All right, this wide receiver trio. Where do you rank Higgins, Chase, and Boyd? In, in what order do you have these three guys? Because I. Like I said, it's it's been in, ranked in every which way. Every every site you look at has a different has a different idea on these guys. Where do you where do you have these guys going? I think either way you stack it, Higgins has got to be the number one. He, he he proved himself last year as a viable fantasy threat, um, a guy who was a top twenty player, and you know coming into that second year, that's when you see the breakout. So he's already got that rapport with Joe Burrow coming into his second year. You know, we know he's a stud. Tyler Boyd's done it year after year. He he was a top 15 wide receiver with Joe Burrow on the field. I like him as the second option, I think, especially in PPR formats. When you know he's coming out of the slot, he's going to be a high-volume player. Joe Burrow's more accurate to that position. Third for me is Jamar Chase. I still like him as a high upside player, but not to the second half of the season till he corrects some of these issues with the route running, with the drops, and he can get on the same page with Joe Burrow. I'm with you 100%. And also the one thing you're leaving out is A.J. Green's no longer on this team. He's going to be leaving behind a good amount of inefficient targets. Last year, Burrow targeted A.J. Green on 19.2% of his passes. They only connected on those throws 45.3% of the time. That's a, uh, and they had a uh, 4.7 yards per target and one touchdown. So not some not good stats to A.J. Green. He's no longer on the team. He's He's been shipped off to Arizona. God bless him out there. Out here, I'm in Arizona myself. Only assholes live in here. Oh, you live. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Where are you at with this over-under win total? Six and a half. The Bengals over or under? Can they get to seven wins? Under. Under. I, I, I just, I can't see it. I can't see a reason to be optimistic. And really, it comes down to, it's not even the players. It's Zach Taylor. He, he, he might be the worst head coach in this league because the guys that, when you look at the head coach rankings, a lot of the guys that are under him, he's like usually like ranked 28th, 29th. The guys under him are like the unknowns, like Urban Meyer, um, the new guys coming in. Like there's, there's not a lot of known commodities that are ranked under Zach Taylor. And we've already seen two years of just completely just terrible head coaching jobs out of him he's he's six and 25 six twenty five and one as the head coach in cincinnati he doesn't even have seven wins as the head coach in cincinnati over two years you think he's gonna get that in one and he's 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 i like that he's probably the primary reason why they're two they're, they uh they were two 13 and one in one score games since he took over um in 2019 so also the Bengals defense we didn't even mention them they were 25th in epa per drop back last year and their and their offseason, they didn't do a lot to improve on that side of the football. They replaced top coverage uh, coverage cornerback William Jackson with Trey Waynes, who missed the last season due to injury. And Pro Football Focus graded him as the 70th best coverage corner in 2019. So they they got worse on the defensive side of the football as well. Under six and a half for Cincinnati. It's a pretty it's a pretty good lock for me. Yeah, I feel good about that one. All right, next team up, the Cleveland Browns. Eleven and five was their 2020 year. 
on the over-under to win total this year. The line is 10 and a half. They are plus 155 to win the division. The X factor on the year is, you know, they made a lot of positive positive uh, moves in 2020 last year. They made a lot of gr- good steps forward. Baker seems to found a, a great head coach to work alongside him. Kevin Stefanski winning coach of the year created an excellent offensive scheme, did a lot of great things to, to just put Baker in successful situations for him to, you know, be an efficient passer as well as just keeping his offense moving. And even when Stefanski got COVID in the playoffs, they still were able to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, are they going to be able to keep that momentum going? Is is Cleveland going to continue to grow towards contention? Are they going to start to get to claw to the top of the league, or are they going to start regressing back to their old ways of mediocrity? Where are you at with this with this question here, Connor? I think they performed similarly to last year. You know, I, I like Nick Chubb a love a dub dub a lot. I think he's going to be fantastic. Once again, he's a guy who missed four or five games last year before uh, really taking over as a, as a top five, top seven type of fantasy running back. And I think if you talk about just pure talent at the running back position, he, he might be a top three or top four overall runner specifically. Um, so I, I absolutely, and then, you know, you talk about change of pace with Kareem Hunt. That's fantastic. Did you know, they that, should have, uh, did you know that the, the tandem of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt last year ranked Chubb was first, Hunt was second in explosive run percentage last year among running backs. First and second. I believe it. I watched a lot of their games. I, I cried because, you know, Kareem Hunt stole a game-winning touchdown from me in fantasy. You, you remember that game. I, I think he, Nick Chubb had three touchdowns in the first half, and I was like, I need five more points, and Kareem Hunt took over the second half, and I was eliminated from the fantasy playoffs. I think that was to, like, get you – I think you were to face me, right? Or you were maybe – I don't know. You were maybe one more matchup away from facing me. I don't know. It sounds about right. It was in the first round of the playoffs, and you know, I, I scrapped and clawed, and Nick Chubb was just outstanding. Yeah. And I thought the game was a lock. He had like twenty three in the first half and only five in the second, and I lost. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> those those guys are fantastic, and and then you talk about bringing Odell back, you know? Yeah, who we know I think Odell's gonna talent wise. I think he's going to be good for is real football at the top of the league. I mean. Two or three years ago, we would have said Odell is the top three wide receiver. He's he's had a huge turn down since he left the Giants. So I'm not horribly upset about that because I, I am a Giants fan myself. And so obviously, you know, he should have stayed with the Giants, but yeah. the talent's there. Jarvis Landry, talking about a, an amazing wide receiver too. Donovan Peoples Jones is a fantastic third option. And then you have who do you they still have Njoku and, and Hooper? No, um no longer there. Austin okay, so they still have Hooper. Uh so yeah, this, this offense has weapons. Baker Mayfield coming into his third or fourth is it fourth season now? I mean they should be good. They should they yeah. should repeat that their offense is only getting better. So I think they should be they should be really good as long as they don't hyper target Odell and lose the sense of character I that think, they built last year. Yeah, I think Kevin Stefanski is one of the league's best coaches. And, and yeah. when I make my over/under picks and when I make my team, my preseason team evaluations, what I'm finding is I'm placing a lot of importance on the head coaching job because you'll see a trickle down effect from when you have good leadership at the top. It makes things click much better down the road, and, and almost every split you look at. The Browns last year had major improvements across the board on offense. Twelve personnel formations were excellent, much improved from 2019, 2020. Um, 
and in 11 personnel they were much more efficient baker it was way better across the board all these different formations they were throwing at him and then also stefanski implemented a lot more pre-snap motion and play action which like i continue to say in these podcasts i love coaches that do this andy reed is the guru the number one guy that does it and stefanski's Took a took a play out of that playbook, and um, last year they ran 60 percent uh, of the Browns' passes featured either pre-snap motion or play action or both. Um, in 2019, 60 percent of the passes were without play uh, a ple- uh, pre-snap motion or play action. So a complete opposite turnaround in that sense. The Browns increased their usage of those uh, those formations. 28 from uh, in 2019 they were 28th in the league, and in 2020 they were 11th. I even think that's going to go up even more this year. You get Baker working under Stefanski another season, a full off season of training camp. You got a lot of consistency in the turnover on offense. There's going to be just like more more continuity on that side of the football. The whole offensive offensive line is returning. They were number one in pass block and run block last year. The second most expensive offensive line in the league. There's a lot of things that just are going to make this a lot easier for Baker. Um, and you know if they continue to get better health, and you know Nick Chubb was banged up a lot of the year last year. Kareem Hunt had to take over. If those guys get healthy, look, the Browns, the sky's the limit for this team. Because I think, ba- I think Baker is the limit for this team, to be honest. I think he's the he's the he's the limitation. He's the one who caps their upside. But Stefanski is the perfect coach for him. He understands what he understands how to put Baker in successful situations. Like Baker was a lot better at a shotgun last year, but the reason why he was better at shotgun is because they used it less. Baker's really good under center, and and it, there's just c- countless examples of the way Stefanski changed up the scheme for Baker to be put in more successful situations. And so, in in the scenarios that Baker struggled in previously in his career, he was able to be more efficient because he reduced the volume and put him in more successful scenarios. So, so they shouldn't bring Freddie Kitchens back, <laughs> dude. Freddie Kitchens is a joke, man. That guy was terrible. Stefanski is was the only rookie head first year head coach last year to lead his team to a winning record, uh, over five hundred record. Those the other coaches that were uh, first year coaches, Ron Rivera, Joe Judge, Mike McCarthy, and Matt Rule, all failed to do that with their new teams. Stefanski goes into Cleveland, turns this franchise completely around. I mean, the Browns. Not even what three years ago was that 0 and 16 three year, three years ago the year before they got Baker right so it was f- what four years ago they they um they went 0 and 16 to get Baker man the over under win total is five uh, ten and a half that's a that's, I think what like fifth fourth or fifth in the league at the highest something around there so that's, a, that's some high expect some lofty expectations for Cleveland yeah i mean i think this team performed similarly to last year i don't think they made a lot of drastic changes and and so i think they we see a similar win total i think 12 wins is within the cards for them part of this is like we don't have a ton to say besides they're just going to try to continue to keep the ball rolling and try to stay Mm -hmm. healthy and i I think it's a run first cautious team and i think that's fine for them no news is good news for the Browns. Yeah. I'm not hearing a whole lot about Odell, and that's a guy that loves to be in the media spotlight. Not hearing a lot about him. That's good. Pop check mark there. You know, the the, the team hasn't suffered any preseason injuries to note. That's good. Stefanski's I, I, just got a whole offseason. Last year was a Zoom virtual training camp, 
And this year, he was able to be there in person with the whole team. Can't imagine what he what kind of improvements we're going to see this year. I think it's just imagine how good our podcast would be if we weren't over Zoom and we were in person. I mean, come on, the sky's the limit. So of course, the Browns should take a step yeah, over. We, they're not Zooming. We would go from like the the second best podcast to the first best podcast. Exactly, that's what I'm talking about. So eleven wins to twelve wins makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> All right, where are you at with the fantasy football outlook for these guys, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt? I mean, no reason to be pessimistic about these guys, right? We're pretty optimistic about their outlook. I love the talent of Nick Chubb, and I keep passing on him in the first round. Yeah. And well, the, the back end of the first round. Because these two are both so good, Chubb and Hunt. They're both so good. That's exactly correct. And it's because I think either one of them, if if – either takes a slight step back or the other one's right there to fill in the gap. And that has me very worried about the value proposition of what either one singularly can bring on my fantasy team. Yeah, but, you know, the Browns are expected to face the second easiest run uh, defensive schedule based on EPA per rush allowed. No, I didn't know that, Ben, because I didn't listen to this podcast yet. (laughs) That's why our listeners are here. The the opportunities are going to be there. They know better than me. (laughs) Look, first round is a lofty expectation for anybody. There's not, there's no shame in picking Chubb in the in the second round, early in second round. It's probably right where I would I would probably have him. I I think I had him overall ranked like 11th or 12th. That's probably right where I would I would be, uh, have him, and then Hunt is a is a solid RB two in my opinion. If you have him in your flex, you're 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 good to go. Um, I think you know the Golden Richard. The uh, the offensive scheme last year proved to be fruitful for both these guys, and it wasn't always at the same time, but often oftentimes it was when the guy when they were both in there, they were oftentimes both pretty pretty efficient, very successful, and um you know like i said they both were incredibly explosive first and second in the league and run percent uh, explosive run percentage among running backs last year and like i said the entire offensive line came back this season so they are going to have lots of running room lots of explosive plays for these guys i'm i'm very optimistic about both of them yeah i mean they're they're both going to be great the question is can they be league winners and i'm not so convinced because i think they cap each other's upside so i think they're very safe plays we know what this team wants to do exactly maybe a lower ceiling than a guy that you might be taking in the first round a little bit of lower ceiling than antonio gibson austin eckler the guys who are going in a similar uh area as nick chubb true all right what about the wide receivers landry beckham who are the other receivers? Donovan Peoples-Jones. Uh, I'm out. You considering all of them? <laughs> Not touching any of them. None of them? Yeah. None of them. Odell's the biggest question mark to me in the league. I mean, uh, we know he has top five upside and skill. We also know he has like... And I'm just soured on him. I can't do it anymore. He, he could finish wide receiver 49. And he could finish wide receiver nine. And in either situation, I would not be shocked. Would either outcome be surprising to you at this point? No. The range of outcomes are just absurd. I, I tend to believe he's going to be more in the range <laughs> yeah. of 49, though. I, it just scares me too much. I, I can't do it. It's a run first team, so I'm out on the pass catchers. Yeah. I think Baker is going to be still a streamable quarterback at times in the right matchups. Um, and I think he has the potential to – I mean, if he is able to – I mean, Landry and Beckham are – great receiving options hooper had is just a year removed from that great year in atlanta that he had two years ago um he has he has the weapons and these these running backs chubb and hunt excellent receivers in their own right so he has the weapons around him he has an excellent offensive line the only thing with baker is he's very bad under pressure but with an offensive line like this 
you know, it's not it's not a concern that you 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 consider too much. Yeah, I think he was like 31st in passer running under pressure last year. Um, but you know, with as long as they stay healthy on the offensive line, and, and, and that's a big question mark because last year they were third, I think, in offensive line health. So can you expect that again, two years in a row? Maybe not, but you know, um, as long as they get you know above league average, you know, you could bank on, on Baker being a, at least a, a reliable stream stream option at the quarterback position. I think. Yeah, there's a little bit of upside for Baker. I'm fine as like a quarterback two or just a guy on the watch list. Yeah. Austin Hooper, any any reason to consider him maybe a late-round flyer or someone to keep an eye on? Not really. I'll keep an eye on him. I'm not putting him on my roster yet. DFS value guy. Maybe the guy yeah. Not, yeah. All right. I think we got to see how it goes. I think it's a guy to keep like tabs on. You know, we know his skills there and – I could see the the Browns being a team that likes to target the tight end. I agree. All right, pick over under ten and a half is the win total. I'm going on the over. This is the one team I'm 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 slamming the over on on the division. Uh, we haven't got to the Steelers yet, but the Browns, you know, they're expected to face the third easiest schedule in the NFL based on current win totals. The the theme throughout this division is that everybody has a very difficult schedule except for the Browns. The Browns have the third easiest schedule in the NFL. Where you got the Browns here? Can I like pick slightly over? <laughs> I don't think they smash this over. I also don't think they fall very far from under it if they are going to finish under. I like them at 12 wins. That's kind of where I see their record falling this year. I can see that happening. But, um, you know, even at 12 wins, that's still a game and a half over the win total. So you're, it's still a pretty generous prediction there. With the extra game, I, I like the opportunity. I'm a generous guy, you know. <laughs> That, I mean, they just really got to play the way they did last year, and I think that's well within the cards. A lot of continuity and turnover yeah. on this team. So, and um, they improved a lot on the defensive side of the football. Um, no team in the NFL improved their talent level during the offseason on defensive on the de- defensive side more than the Browns. Um, they may have eight new starters on the defensive side of the football, and a lot of excellent talent across that board. Um, last year, the defense was their weakness. They finished 23rd in EPA per play allowed, and, was, uh, and they were dead last in fourth down efficiency on the defensive side. They also they addressed all these problems in the offseason. While they won 11 games last year, they were the sixth most injured defense in the league. And uh, if you if you get a full season or close to from guys like Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, those guys are blue-chip defensive players. This, that side of the football, they have uh, some room to grow tremendously. And I think that's going to be um, a big target of improvement for the Browns uh, coming to this new season. And um, I don't, look, there's some things to be worried about. Like you said, uh, maybe the 10 and a half is like right in that ballpark. I think maybe 11 wins is right in the cards. But I mean, like like Bake, some things, if they go wrong, the offensive line gets hurt. Baker struggles under pressure. The Browns last year had a negative 11-point differential, the only team to make the playoffs with a negative run differential last season. They were also 7-2 and two in one-score games. So and they had tight wins against teams like Cincinnati, Jacksonville, and Houston. So there were some alarming red flags for them last year. But with the extra offseason to prepare, I think, you know, Kevin Stefanski is, like I said, he's a great coach. I think this team is going to be uh, a contending a contending team this year. I had them as possible uh, Super Bowl dark horse, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I mean, I see the over. I'm not, I'm not quite there on the Super Bowl dark horse, but I like where your head's at. If Baker makes a jump, 
I think it's in the cards. I think they they're gonna be. A I just don't believe in Baker. I don't. I don't know why. You know, I'm not a Baker guy. No, I feel you there. All right, let's go to the next team, Pittsburgh Steelers. Last year they were 12 and four over under win total. This season they're gonna see some regression. It looks like eight and a half is the over under win line. They are plus 440 to win the division. The big question here: they, they got a 39 year old quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger. What does he have left? Because that's what that's what's gonna make or break this offense because they have the weapons on the on the pat on the receiving core. They have three excellent receivers. Yeah, I was gonna say he's got Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith Schuster, and Chase Claypool left. That's what he's got left. <laughs> I last year that he Ben threw the ball 40, 40 and a half pass attempts per game last season. That was second most in the league. But he averaged just six point three yards per attempt, which was his career worst mark. That was thirty eighth in the league. He had a career low average depth of target rate of 7.4 yards. He was he was throwing the ball often, but he was getting the ball out of his hands incredibly quick. Is that going to be a formula for success again this season? It's going to be a lot of Deontay Johnson if that's the case and a lot of a lot of quick slot targets and a lot more uh, of, you know, bland juju. Yeah. I don't think that's going to be the case for them. I think they they made a strong offseason acquisition in getting Najee Harris in the draft. I think that's going to open up the play action. Well, I think one of the Chase Claypool. Lines, does that help? What do you, what, what what are you going to do with a running back that when there's no running room? You can have the best running back in the world, but the offensive line can't block for him. Yeah, but I mean, Mike Tomlin's probably one of the best head coaches in the league. He he never goes under five hundred. I think that if there's somebody who's going to be able to figure out something to do with this team and this offense, it's probably him. And so I still have confidence in this team figuring it out. I think Najee Harris is a fantastic talent at the running back position. I think that in years past, maybe ten years ago, he's a top three pick overall based on his talent and his size and athleticism. We just you know running backs don't go in that spot anymore. Yeah. I, I really, I really like them to take a step up. I think he's a huge improvement over James Conner, and, and I love these three wide receivers. I think Roethlisberger can figure it out with it with a normal offseason with with this uh, group of pass catchers and uh, talent position around him. Yeah, I like your points. You know, it seems like the the, the most uh, for sure the most sure bets in life is like death taxes, and the Steelers are going to be over five hundred. It's it's it seems like that's the most sure bets you can make in life, and it. I, I just I like the UConn women basketball team too. <laughs> yeah. You know, quick shout out to quick shout out to Connecticut. <laughs> I um, I just I, I feel like we're gonna be caught holding the bag here if we project another successful year, um, because I think the, the edge, the cliff, the fall off for Ben Roethlisberger, it's coming and it's coming fast. The guy, unless you believe this, some sort of health renaissance, he continues to claim. He says he lost weight and his arm feels better. And if that's the case... Did he go vegan? Does he drink uh, he avocado ice stuff. cream shakes? I don't think he did that. I think he even joked about that. Um, but apparently he got healthier in the offseason. So if that's the case, if he looks better this year, that's going to be a big boost for this Pittsburgh Steelers team. And the eight and a half win total might feel too low if that's the case. I just don't think that is... I mean, he's 39 years old. At this point, you kind of are what you are. And what he is is a quarterback that doesn't have a lot of mobility doesn't really have the ability to throw the ball deep has to get rid of the ball very quickly and is behind an offensive line that's one of the league's worst so 
and, and then you look at the defense side, defensive side of the football. I know you before the podcast you were saying that that was their biggest strength. They finished first in DVOA on the defensive side of the football last year, but the light schedule that they had and the above average health likely probably masked some of the underlying issues that cost them late in the season last year. We saw how things unfolded and how they choked down the stretch. Some of the wins early on in the year, I think they were what twelve and zero. They mm-hmm. uh, they beat in that stretch. They beat the Jaguars. They beat the Broncos, the Bengals, the Eagles, the Giants, the Texans, the Cowboys, the Cowboys with no Dak Prescott, and the Ravens with no Lamar Jackson. It's a bundle of teams that any play any respectful bubble playoff team should be beating last year. Um, and, and like you said, you play who you play. You you get what you get in the schedule. It's not their fault that they face some some lousy teams. But the point is that. Maybe some of their underlying problems were just kind of pushed under the rug, and they weren't directly re- addressed. And, and in the offseason, they didn't they didn't make any additions on the defensive side of the football, and they did lose one of their best edge rushers in Bud Dupree. He got the uh, ACL injury, I think, in week ten or so last year, and he never played another snap for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, and then you look at the Steelers' defensive rankings over the last three seasons, corresponding to their strength of schedule. They've gotten when when the schedule has been in their favor their defensive their defense does well but when the, when the schedule gets tough the defense gets going they uh they, they start to fall off and in 2018 you look at the defense they ranked 14th overall they had the fifth toughest schedule in the league in 2019 their defense ranked third they had the 18th toughest schedule and in 2020 they ranked first and they had a 29th toughest schedule um and in 2021, they're scheduled to face the third toughest schedule of offenses in the league. They also had, like I said last year, uh, they had good health. They were the fourth best health. They're the fourth best health on the defensive line and secondary positions last season. So uh, there's just like a lot of things that are suggesting. I think I think the eight and a half win, win over on a win total line is just really accurate and tough to tough to go one way or the other. What are your thoughts? I, I feel. I- I feel great about the over on this one. You know, I mean, it, it's the Steelers, it's Mike Tomlin, it's consistency. And yeah, they might've been somewhat healthy in terms of their percentage of players, but their impact players were injured, you know, that, and that, that was a key thing for me. So, you know, they're, they're getting TJ Watt back healthy for the year. And I, I, I like the Steelers. I think this offense is going to be fine. I think the defense is fantastic. So eight and a half is, is, is a very solid lock for me. It's one that I feel pretty good about some personal dough on. Really? Mm-hmm. I, I, I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm leaning the under here. I'm not going to be caught holding the bag here. All right. What are you looking at with the fantasy football perspective? Najee Harris getting drafted right on that, that first to second round bubble there. Is that a good spot for a rookie running back? It's one of the that's one of the highest draft picks we've seen. I mean, well, well actually, last year we saw Clyde Edwards-Alaire kind of get drafted in that spot too. So, are we going to are we going to see another Ceh, or is this something different? I mean, typically, first round running backs do return the value. You know, a couple of years ago, you had a guy like Josh Jacobs who was just outstanding, and when the situation is right, and you know that the player is going to get the volume. Especially they, they, with the situation. That's the rookie running back example in recent recent history. You're, that's, that's, yeah, come on. three How years you ago. You were, uh, I went back two years ago. We're going back three years ago. I mean, let's get crazy. I mean, obviously, Saquon was otherworldly in his freshman season. So, yeah, I mean, Najee Harris has the, the entire workload. Um, it sounds like Anthony McFarland might even be going on IR now at this point. 
So yeah, he's gonna get the running work. He's gonna get the passing work. He's gonna be there yeah, everything. The Bellage game? <laughs> the Bellagio? No, no, I'm not worried about the Bellagio effect over there. <laughs> Deontay Johnson, is he your top-ranked receiver in this in this trio of uh, pass catchers for the Steelers? He's the safest, um, but in terms of upside, I'd prefer Chase Claypool, and so that's who I would spend a couple extra dollars on in an auction format, maybe reach a little bit higher in a draft. But yeah, if you're saying that it it, it all depends on roster construction, right? And so if, you know, Allen Robinson is my first pick, somebody who's extremely safe with volume, then, okay, I love Chase Claypool as an upside play, right? The guy who's big body, could get a lot of touchdowns, deep passes, but if my first pick is more of a, a streaky player, a Tyreek Hill, let's say, and yeah, he's transformed last year with the amount of touchdowns, but likely to see a regression there, a big play guy, then I like to offset that with a guy who's going to get a lot of volume in a Deontay Johnson. I agree, and I, I just kind of lean toward against guys that um, that drop the pa- drop passes. Uh, Deontay Johnson led the league and dropped passes last year, and it's kind of it was kind of an uh, an oddity because he actually was kind of known for a guy for having good hands. Um, but when you lead the league and, and drop passes, that's never a good sign. Um, and so I'm with you. There. I think Claypool has the highest up upside. He's built like a number one receiver, possibly uh, a, a good prime candidate for a second year breakout for a guy like that. Well, you can only drop passes as long as they're being thrown to you, though. So, you know, Kobe has the most missed shots in in history in terms of the yeah, NBA, Johnson, right? Johnson, and Kobe Bryant, right? <laughs> uh huh. I mean, they were they were the same yellow, right? <laughs> no, don't you know? Aggregators, get out of here! <laughs> Watch out. Um, Juju, Juju seems to be the forgotten guy for this wide receiver trio. Is he someone that you're is a little bit of a value because he's dropping in drafts? Juju. So apparently Juju has been complaining to get out of the slot. He wants to be put out wide, and they're like, "No, we're going to keep you in the slot." And as long as Juju's in the slot, his upside is completely capped. Fast, isn't that a good thing? Isn't he going to see more targets if Ben has to throw the ball that quickly? Yeah, but that it limits his touchdown potential, limits his yardage potential, and when you're talking about the amount of mouths to feed on this offense, if you're coming in fourth, it's not a player I want to really on my team. Makes sense. I, I, I'm a little bit higher on Juju. I, I think that uh, with the high volume of this passing game, like I said, Ben was second in volume in passing last year. Even regardless of depth of target, Juju's going to see still a lot of volume regardless of whether he's where he's ranking in this offense because he's been there for is this his fourth or fifth year now. Ben, ben knows him, and he's had some excellent success under Big Ben. He finished the year strong last season. I'm pretty optimistic about Smith-Schuster. Um, especially where he's being drafted. I think he's possibly even the best value of this trio because Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool are costing you a lot more ca- uh, draft capital than Smith-Schuster is. And I don't think it's that big of a fall-off. I, obviously, I would if I had to rank them purely on who's going to score the most points, I'd probably say Johnson, Claypool, Schuster, where they're being drafted most likely. I'd say Claypool probably has the most yeah. upside. Johnson probably has the highest floor. I think Schuster has the best value. That's probably where I, I, I'd have those guys. It's a fair prediction. It's also interesting that we're talking about the Steelers who have three viable pass catchers in the same podcast where we're talking about the Bengals yeah. uh, and their three pass catchers. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, 
if you if you had to have a wide receiver trio, which would you prefer? That's a good question. I I mean I think the big the big unknown is Jamar Chase. You know where? Does, yeah. What does he What does he turn out to be? Because if he's the number fifth number five pick overall in the last draft, where there was a it was some pretty great picks last season. Um, so pretty. Good I'm hearing great season. things about Jalen Waddle. Hearing great things about Devonta Smith. Yep. So that's going to, I think, make or break that decision, which trio you take, because I love T. Higgins. I think Tyler Boyd is comparable talent to Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, if Jamar yeah. Chase is like somewhere in the talent level of Chase Claypool, that's going to be a steal of a pick. because he's Jamar Chase Claypool, a little before and after. Yeah, that'd be a good comparison. Where are you at the tight end situation for the Steelers? Because I know Eric Ebron's their guy, and really he's probably off all fantasy boards, not really a guy that has a lot of upside. Pat Fryermuth is someone that I'm actually keeping an eye on. Um, I think it was a second round pick for the Steelers this year. He um, is, is someone that I actually I got his I got one of his uh, signed cards out of the, the the leaf the leaf pick the leaf uh, hobby box that I got or not hobby box but leaf metal yeah leaf metal got one of his his uh, his college auto uh, cards and I got sent it off to get graded to SGC. We'll see how that comes back, but. Uh, Ends only, baby. Yeah, Let's I, go. It's a personal investment in this guy. I, I, actually, I've been hearing good things from him. So I think he has, I like Fryer Yeah, I think, I think he has the potential to be a little bit of a safety blanket for Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, if we weren't talking about Kyle Pitts as the tight end to own out of this draft class, it would it would be Fryer and he had a fantastic preseason. You know, I think a couple touchdowns in one of the games. I like him a lot. You know, he's much better upside over Ebron, who is a known pass dropper, which this which this team has had plenty of when they also have Deontay Johnson. So I like Fryermuth as an upside play guy to stash as your tight end two on your bench. Gotcha. All right. The time is has come. You're going over under eight and a half officially. Put it down. Over. Over. I'm going under. <laughs> We got we got to disagree on something here, Connor. We have a I'm, divergence. I'm trying to be a little of the the edge guy here because I think the easy pick is the over, um, because they're the Steelers. It's like it's like picking the over under on the Pats last year. I'm easy, you know. That's me. Um, I just think that the edge is coming, and the signs are there that he's he's 39 years old, and there's nothing like a, a shitty offensive line to make an, an old quarterback look older. Um, and with the tough schedule coming this year, I think they have the um, where, where's their schedule ranking that I wrote that down. Um, I can't remember where I put this, but they have a tougher schedule. And last year they had a lot of great, they were fifth best in injury luck last year. Um, they were the fourth highest in EPA on turnovers last season. Those are both statistics primed for regression this year. Um, you know, they were seven and two in one score games. They ranked Big Ben ranked 31st in completion percentage, 28th in passer rating last year. Overall, he was 26th in completion percentage over expected among 32 qualified quarterbacks. Um, it's just a lot of things here that suggest that I, I just don't think Ben's going to be able to get it done here for this offense, and they don't really have any backup options. So, if 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 that proves to be the case, it's going to make for an intriguing offseason next year because. They they missed out on a pretty loaded draft class of quarterbacks over in the last in the last draft. So if they miss their boat there, what's it going to look like if they needed if they need to move on from Big Ben next offseason? Because that day is coming soon for Pittsburgh. Um, I know Ben with the with the diet and with the with the weight loss. I know he's trying to push that back. Trying to but Father Time's undefeated, and 
I don't want to be I don't want to be caught holding the bag with this. I, I I'm picking the under on eight and a half. I'd rather be late late to the trend than early. All right, I'm trying to be trendy here. <laughs> All right, pick your division winner. You are you you wearing a black t-shirt? It's very slimming. It's very trendy. Pick your uh, all right, guy. Pick your pick. Your <laughs> all right, we got the the Ravens, the Browns. The, obviously, the the Bengals aren't going to be here, but this or the Steelers. So Ravens, Browns, Steelers. Who are you going with? I think if I were to bet based on the odds, I would take the Ravens. Um, but if I were to take a team straight up, I would take the Browns. Okay. Yeah, I'm going with the Browns. They are the uh, they are the, the you know the Ravens are the favorites. They're plus fi- plus one fifteen to win the division. Browns are plus one fifty five. I think that's a good value. I'm going with the Browns here. I'm pretty optimistic about them this season. I love the head coaching job too with Stefanski last year. I think he's gonna keep the ball rolling there. Yeah, I I, I want I want the Ravens to get healthy and and that it becomes an easy choice for me. Um, but my biggest issue with them is just you know the amount of uncertainty on that offense. So if you were to say at this point, just pick a team, I'll take, I'll take the Browns. I, I honestly thought that the odds would have dropped more for the Ravens. So maybe that's not the case. I probably wouldn't place a bet on them if they're only one fifteen. still. I'll probably just take the Browns straight up at this point. But if you start to see the, the Ravens odds fall, maybe they get off to a slow start and they start to get healthier throughout the season. Maybe that's a good time to hop on that. Understandable. All right, Connor. Dude, this was a late podcast for you. I know you're getting groggy over there. Connor, I appreciate you staying up for this one. Any last words before we wrap it up here? Boot and rally, baby. That's what I'm all about right now. You know, I got to get up for work in a few hours. Sun's coming up. Um, But absolutely, man. And tomorrow's going to be a blast. We're doing the live trivia. So, you know, I want to make sure we highlight that again. 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, September 8th. So uh, it's today, actually, (laughs) based on the time on the East Coast. Uh, But make sure you tune in. And, uh, you know, thank you for having me on and thanks for listening. All right. Thanks, Connor. Appreciate it. Also, big thanks to my cousin, Nick Barrow. Join me for the intro of the podcast. Talk to some some Padres, Connor. Give that a listen when you get a chance as well. All right, everybody. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Vicious Talk with Benny P on all your podcast platforms. Also, go and visit our website, allthingsanalysis.com. Like I said earlier, we got a lot of great stuff coming for you uh, in terms of football content. And Connor and I have the big promo for tomorrow. We're amped for the season. Also, continue to follow us for our picks against the lines. We're, we'll be continuing that throughout the year as well. All right, Connor. I appreciate your time, buddy. Hey, thanks, brother. All right. Don't forget to ask yourself at the end of the day, are you vicious? <laughs>